It's 2022, which marks 40 years since the release of Madonna's very first single, Everybody, in 1982. Last August, it was announced that her albums would be re-released with new versions curated by Madonna herself. What does that mean? Well, here on Inside the Groove, we're working through each of her albums one by one to tell the story of how they were recorded, written and produced, along with the iconic photography and graphic design. MDNA is Madonna's 12th studio album and was released on the 23rd of March 2012, a little over a month after Madonna's performance at the halftime show for the 46th Super Bowl. Featuring compositions and productions with Benny Benassi, William Orbit, The Demolition Crew and Martin Solvig, it drew heavily on the EDM and dubstep sounds which had become popular since the end of the previous decade, but also included a number of beautiful ballads such as the Grammy-winning masterpiece. It was her first release for Live Nation. It was closely tied to the tour of the same name, tickets for which went on sale before the album's release, and which carried on from May 2012 until the end of the year. Not surprisingly for Madonna, the album went to number one in many territories, including US, UK and Australia. However, it failed to sell more than 2 million copies worldwide as of the most recent certification in 2014. Recorded while Madonna was working on the film W.E. As writer and director, critics of the album consider this one of her weakest efforts, whilst fans recognise that the singer was spreading herself across multiple projects. As such, many of the songs were bought in and not original Madonna compositions at all. Girl Gone Wild, Gang Bang, Turn Up The Radio, Falling Free, Love Spent, I'm A Sinner and Some Girls all began life with other artists at the helm, though Madonna certainly made them her own, and I'll be playing you the original version of all of these songs before they were re-recorded for MDNA. I'll also be paying particular attention to the lead single from the album, Give Me All Your Lovin'. So, sit back, relax, you're gonna L-U-V this as we go Inside The Groove. Welcome back to Inside the Groove and a huge thank you for everyone who attended our live event in London on 21st of May. I'm actually recording this episode before that event, so I'm assuming it all went well with no technical difficulties, no disasters and was a seamless and noteworthy event for all the right reasons. If it did go all wrong, then I'm really sorry, especially about the cat oh, and those squirrels and all those Iron Maiden fans. Anyway, on to MDNA, and I'm not going to try and pretend that I wasn't disappointed by MDNA on its release. We had been thirsty for a new Madonna album for four years. At the time, that was the longest we'd had to wait for any new material. And I was incredibly excited to hear that she'd been working with Martin Solvig and William Orbit, particularly as there were rumours that this album was in many ways a follow-up to Ray of Light. Why I was disappointed? Well, even listening to it today, the album lacks enough, well, Madonna... As you heard from the intro, she didn't write many of the songs included on the LP, and it sounded and felt very commercial, and repeating Hard Candy's formula of Madonna doing what everyone else had been doing for a while. And given that now we had Lady Gaga and Katy Berry on the scene, it felt as if Madonna was playing catch-up once more. Now, I'm not comparing her to those artists, 
and I'm certainly not saying that they are in any way better than her, but both singers had been born after Madonna had become famous, and neither had lived in a world where Madonna was anything but the biggest female pop star of all time. And the inspiration behind what they were doing was Madonna. So I guess it was a shame that MDNA was not one of her stronger albums. That said, there is a lot to love about this period. We had some really great videos, a fantastic tour, although let's brush over the glamorizing of gun crime, and the usual controversies which have followed her entire career, which we fans love to support. And it's all underpinned, of course, from that brilliant Super Bowl performance at the beginning of 2012. I'm joined now by Lucy O'Brien, author of a book, Like an Icon, to remind us of where Madonna was at that time in her career. Yeah, so MDNA, you know, it really stand. What stands out is that Super Bowl performance with Nicki Minaj and MIA, and you know, I do think it's very difficult when you get to a certain point in your career when you have been the diva, you have been the one in control, and then there are all these kind of younger divas snapping at your heels. It must be really confusing and quite hard I would think and I mean I, I think give me all your loving it works it works on a real pop level but you know it's quite funny William Orbit who, who worked on my favourite tr- tracks on that album Falling mm. Free and I'm a Sinner and I've always admired the work that Orbit does with Madonna they've got they've got such a good kind of they're in, in simpatico the way they work in the studio and he sort of said rather dismissively yes there were one or two tracks that you know shouldn't really have been on the album you know by those guys <laughs> <laughs> talking talking loftily probably about Martin Solvig and Dali Bonassi who did the sort of more house tracks but I think yes you see once we get to MDNA and and then again to Rebel Heart I think what we're, what we're looking at is also a change in songwriting practices. So Madonna, who's always been very comfortable one-to-one, suddenly she's having to cope with this new landscape of songwriting teams who kind of come in and maybe throw up a, a top line and then go on their mobile phone and then go and jet off somewhere else. And she's like, hang on a minute, why, 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 why aren't you all here in the studio where I am you know, <laughs> that old-fashioned work ethic. It's yeah. a different way of working. And I think it kind of, yeah, I think she did find it difficult to negotiate that. Indeed. And I'm going to speak about that in this episode. Thank you, Lucy. I'll speak to you again soon. So, on December the 16th, 2010, Madonna released a special statement to her fans. It's official. I need to move. I need to sweat. I need to make new music. Music I can dance to. I'm on the lookout for the maddest, sickest, most badass people to collaborate with. I'm just saying. Of course, it would be well over a year before we'd hear the final results of that call-out. But that was largely due to Madonna's ongoing work on the movie W.E. W.E. was based on the story of Edward and Mrs. Simpson. Edward is our current Queen's uncle, and he was the British monarch who succeeded his father, George V, the Queen's grandfather, to become Edward VIII, but relinquished the throne when he decided to marry Wallace Simpson, an American divorcee. Hmm, you can understand why that appealed to Madonna. Madonna wrote the movie with her long-term collaborator Alex Kashishian and began filming in the summer of 2010 in the UK before moving to France and then later to the US. It would take almost six months to shoot the movie and a further six months in post-production, meaning that Madonna was distracted from recording her music until the movie was finished and premiered in Venice in September 2011. But by then she had of course begun recording some tracks for the album, including the song Masterpiece, which would be used in the film's soundtrack. I suppose that's the first 
first official hearing of new material that we would have. But the first taster for the rest of it was kind of unplanned. On 8th of November 2011, a new song leaked onto the internet called Gimme All Your Love. Notice the slightly different title. Almost immediately, Madonna's manager, Guy Uziri, responded, The plan was for new music to come out in the new year. He said, I'm very happy with the positive reaction to the demo, but we are very upset with whoever leaked this song. We are asking you, the fans, please help us police any more leaks. We have a lot in store for you, but please stop the r- and respect the process. Madonna via Oziri also expressed her feelings about the leak. Madonna told me this morning my true fans wouldn't do this, he wrote. Whoever is responsible for the leak, we ask you to please stop. Well, on December the 22nd, 2011, the police arrested a 31-year-old Spanish man who had reportedly leaked the demo, and they confirmed his initials simply as JMR and described him as a big Madonna fan. The leaked version was very similar to what would be finally released, although it lacked input from Nicki Minaj and MIA. Instead, the section where their vocals would go later sounded like this. Gimme All Your Loving was finally released on 3rd of February 2012, just days before Madonna performed at the Super Bowl halftime show. The performance would help propel the single to the top 10 in the US, and it also got to number 1 in Canada, Israel and Hungary. In fact, it generally went top 5 or top 10 in most countries, with a few notable exceptions. In Australia and New Zealand, where Madonna normally performed really well, it only managed to get to top 30. And in the UK, despite an appearance on Graham Norton's chat show, it only got to number 37. Surprising, really, given the calibre of the featured artist and the fact that it was co-written and produced with Martin Solvik at the time, a very in-vogue French DJ and producer. Following his much-respected remix of the Dragonette track, Hello. Now, Give Me All Your Loving follows kind of a similar electro-dance slash surfy vibe of the Dragonette track. And Martin himself spoke about the experience of working with Madonna to Billboard magazine. They say, in July 2011, the pop diva invited Solvig to write a session of songs in London for the project that would end up becoming MDNA. What started as an idea for one song became three. Give me all your loving, I don't give a, and turn up the radio. But for those who say that MDNA was a rush project, well, Solvig disputes this in the interview with Billboard, where he says, We did one song and another song, and we were having fun making music, and actually it was a very privileged time. She wasn't under any kind of pressure, she had time to spend on it. It was the only thing she had to work on. Now have a listen to the beat of the song. Now listen to the isolated portion of the featured artist. Give me all your love, boy. You could be my boy, you could be my boy toy. In the nick of time, I can say a second rhyme, because there's time for change like a Nicola Renard. I'm Roman, I'm a barbarian, I'm Conan. You were sleeping on me, you was dozing. Now move! I'm Conan. 
That's Nicki Minaj and here's M.I.A. sing her part. Licks on some swag shit. No one gives you this. It's supersonic, bionic, uranium. So I break them off. Let's play that it sticks. I'ma say this once. Yeah, I didn't give a shit. I mean, it's a good song, but it's something lacking from it. I don't know. Madonna's vocals just feel a little too perfect. Don't play the stupid game because I'm a different kind of girl. Every record sounds the same, you gotta step into my world. I don't know. I mean, it sounds nice, but even when Madonna's vocals were at their, you know, their height, probably the Ray of Light album, there was an edge to them, and this just feels a bit kind of polished. Now, there's a question about whether this song was actually brought to Madonna in a much more finished format. A demo has leaked, and there's only a tiny portion of it, but you can hear another singer that's singing the portion that Madonna would go on to do. Have a listen to this and make your own mind up. Well, I really don't know, but you can understand why Madonna might have wanted to change it from M-A-D to L-U-V. Ultimately, I think the problem with MDNA is that there are too many of these bought-in songs, more than any other Madonna album. Since Holiday, Madonna hasn't shied away from using other people's compositions on her album. Like a Virgin and Material Girl were brought into her. But by the time of the True Blue album, Madonna would make small changes to these songs and take a credit. And in the process, she would very much make them her own. I mean, this certainly happened with Papa Don't Preach and Open Your Heart. There then followed quite a lengthy period where Madonna co-wrote pretty much all of her material from scratch, working alongside another collaborator. There's a few exceptions, Justify My Love, for example, and a couple of the tracks on the Ray of Light album may be credited to Madonna, but she had very little to do with the writing and production other than laying down her own vocal, Candy Perfume Girl, for example. Now, this is often used to criticise artists, and certainly with Madonna, they say she doesn't write her own songs. It feels like something she's been accused of a lot in her career, but no one can deny that Madonna has made those tracks her own, and the same can be said of the songs on MDNA. I just personally feel there's too few of them. We're not getting enough of her. She didn't even put her full name into the album title. Have a listen to the original version of these songs. For example, let's start with Turn Up The Radio. The song was originally recorded for Martin Solvig's fifth studio album, Smash, featuring lead vocals by Jade Williams, a.k.a. Sunday Girl. However, the song was shelved in favour of their other collaboration called Let's Not Play Games. Madonna re-recorded the vocals for herself. And then we've got the song Girl Gone Wild. I know this is a huge fan favourite. Madonna wrote the song I'm Addicted in the studio with the Benassis, but Girl Gone Wild was brought to Madonna with the singer Rosetta on the lead vocal. Madonna would change a few words in the verse, but it's largely very recognisable to what we finally got. Have a listen to this. The William Orbit tracks didn't fare much better. The much-loved ballad Falling Free was brought to Madonna like this. When I move a certain way I feel like I'd cut that way Feel a breaking, taking hold A flaking where I thought that pull 
was pure So sure I'd struck a fame I might need you to strike the same But when you do you throw a spark Just to prove I still am dark and deep in That's performed by Laurie Mayers, one of the credited writers. Then we have one of my favourites, Love Spent, which was co-written by a number of people, including Priscilla Rania, whose voice appears on the original demo. Priscilla had already n- written for a number of other artists, such as Rihanna, Selena Gomez and Cheryl Cole. Have a listen to this one. You had all of me, you want more. Another Orbit produced track was I'm a Sinner, which production that drew on other Madonna songs, including Beautiful Stranger and Ray of Light. This song was originally written for and with Jean-Baptiste Kwame, who incidentally was one of the co-writers on other MDNA songs. Have a listen to this one. One song produced by Orbit, which has a long history, is the track Gang Bang, which Madonna would indeed rework substantially, but it was originally brought to her as the song Bang Bang, again with a vocal by Priscilla Rania. It doesn't sound an awful lot like gangbang at this point, but Madonna would re-record it in a different key, and this is her unreleased version of Bang Bang. With my hand on the barrel, it's time that you pain. I want you to clean up the mess that you made. Like a bitch out of order, like a bat out of hell, like a fish out of water. I'm scared, can't you tell? Bang bang, put my gun down. The song would be massively reworked and a number of other songwriters and producers were involved along the way. Finally, that I'm aware of, the song Some Girls, which was another Orbit production. Here's the original demo by BB Rexa and the Teddy Bears. A few years after the release of MDNA, William Orbit spoke openly and frankly about what he felt was wrong with the project. According to the website Dram Madonna, and he said that the singer had lots of projects going on at the time and that he had jumped on the project later on. He also said, I would have also dropped three of the six tracks produced by the other guys. They were not good enough, in my opinion, too puerile. As for the remaining three, I would have suggested to put more depth and make them a little bit more special. Frank words indeed. 
Interestingly, some of the better material for the album wasn't on the final product, including the fantastic track Beautiful Killer, a co-pro with Martin Solvik, which was relegated to the deluxe edition. To my knowledge, there aren't any demos which never made it onto the final product, so it's hard to imagine what would be on a re-release of MDNA. As for the title and artwork, well, Madonna said, I'm thinking of calling it MDNA when she appeared on the Graham Norton show in the January of 2012. Apparently it was MIA who suggested the title, but Madonna later confirmed that it was a triple entendre. Not only was it tech speak for her name, but it also resembled the drug methylene dioxymethamphetamine, also known as ecstasy, aka MDMA. Plus, Mitochondrial DNA, a.k.a. mDNA, is the name given to the DNA inherited from one's mother. Now, on to the album cover, and I'm joined by fashion photographer Jonathan Daniel Price and graphic designer and art director Peter Floon. Jonathan, what can you tell us all about the very distinctive cover shoot for mDNA? So here Madonna is photographed by the duo Merton Marcus. They made a name for themselves in the late 90s and 2000s, really shooting these incredibly luxurious, glossy editorials for magazines like Dazed and Pop and Vogue magazine. It was kind of a reaction to the minimalism of the early to mid 90s. And so they really pushed lush color with this really highly retouched work. They came to prominence in the fashion scene in London, and there's some great mythology around them meeting at a party in East London in 1994 and sharing this flat together in Old Street when it was still raw and affordable. And since then, they've shot these huge campaigns and a lot of musicians as well. So they've they've done big artwork for people like Adele and Gaga and Rihanna and Kylie. So of course, they're very well placed to shoot the cover artwork for Madonna. I'm sure all the Madonna fans listening will be quite familiar with their names. She's good friends with both of them and they often feature on her Instagram. And since this time with them shooting her first, the first album artwork that they've shot with her, they've worked with her dozens of times. The artwork for MDNA was revealed in January of 2012 on Madonna's official Facebook page, which is a reveal of how long ago this was. <laughs> Images themselves are sort of this bright, neon, quite sensual direction. They're all shot in a studio with highly stylized references, I guess maybe to mimic a nightclub, which is, I suppose, a direct line from this EDM sound that the album has. My favorite shots from the whole set are Madonna wearing the bra and the leather thigh-high boots. There's also some images with the addition of a fur shawl, and here she's styled again by her longtime collaborator, Ariane Phillips. They're not really pushing any boundaries with the style. I think the direction's pretty safe. It's sort of what we expect from Madonna, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, she looks beautiful in these photographs. Mert and Marcus have said that they had two weeks to set this shoot up from the approach to the inception of the artwork. And in that time, they had to come up with the art direction, the set, the styling. They've even said that they convinced Madonna to cut her hair for the shoot. But on set, they said the whole process was very natural. It was free flowing and they didn't really have an intention beforehand to set up a specific image for the cover of the album or the singles. These were selected after the whole set shot. Stylistically, the cover, I think, takes inspiration from Erwin Blumenfeld, who's a German fashion photographer and made, him, uh, made a name for himself in New York 
shooting for also big magazines like Vogue, but this is in the, the 50s and 60s. But there's one set of images he took early in his career from 1943, which are called Lisette Behind Fluted Glass. And the images are sort of abstract, it's delineated imagery, and you really see this directly as a reference in a lot of the cover images and the internal images for this MDNA artwork. In Irwin's work, the model is actually sitting behind a pane of glass. It's, you know, those thin fluted panels that you get on glass doors. And this sort of thing can be replicated quite easily with Photoshop. And you can see in a lot of the artwork that they created in this, and also with the music video for Girl Gone Wild, that a lot of the effects are done digitally. Not sure if they actually did with this or not, or if it is glass, but that's a huge part of the creative process for them. And overall, I think, you know, when this came out, it, it had quite a lot of impact. I remember seeing a lot of really positive words say about, said about it on forums at the time. And yeah, they're highly retouched. You can really see a lot of alteration, but, but I feel like they make quite a good impact. Definitely, definitely. Peter, the art direction is really special as well. What can you tell us about that? Giovanni Bianco again. So we're, we're well into that relationship. He's already done the um, previous album and goes on to do the next few. We're back to sort of the, the classiness of erotica. So it's using a very elegant typeface. So it's either Didot or um, Bodoni. And the thing that I I do like, but I don't know if it's worked brilliantly well. For me, visually, if you've got something as strong as the, the verticals in the, the image of Madonna, so the warping of the glass and seeing the verticals, I would have thought that you would go against that in the logo. So they almost fight one another. It's, it's really slavishly copied and it is a really lovely piece of typography and it, on, on its own, like when it's used on white, it's really impressive. So you're talking um, about MDNA written with effectively with vertical yeah. lines. So it's, it, it's a map that will be a, a put on top of the type to like hide and reveal bits of it. And it's, <laughs> it, it's a lovely thing to look at, but over the top of an image that's doing exactly the same thing, giving you snippets of the, of Madonna's face, you then only get snippets of the word. So it's, I, I think it's a beautiful like piece of design, but in terms of like impact and readability, the MDNA is not as impactful and maybe not as even, I have to be honest, when I saw the album cover, it didn't lead me to think that it was going to be EDM dance music. I thought we were back to something a bit more sort of more true to Madonna because it, it felt like it, it had that elegance and that class, not that EDM can't have elegance and class, but. The two seem, the two for me seem to fight one another. So neither, neither really wins. So the image is incredibly strong. And then the typography is almost like too clever. It's, it's beautiful to look at. And when they use it on masterpiece and it's, it's just on white, white space, it looks absolutely beautiful. But I think it's, it's a lot of hard work gone into it, but whether it sits as, uh, when you see it on Spotify and it's really small, you barely even notice the MDNA at the bottom, but it's that that's that's hindsight and the beauty of digital technology it's interesting i think basically what you're talking about uh, with the design sort of typifies the album the album is a really really good edm dance record by an artist in 2012 it's just not a very good madonna record in my opinion because her albums are so strong and you know so much better than everyone else's and we've had a few conversations about the most recent work uh, that she's doing at this point where it does feel like she's trying to catch up with everybody else and that's kind of 
you know, represented in the artwork. It's not really got any proper direction. It's what Edwards, uh, what Jonathan said that I didn't know about was the lack of going into the studio with an idea. So when I look at it, I see an editorial spread. There's nothing that says, I think any one of those images from the booklet could have been the cover. And the fact that it was the first time we got a dual cover with two Madonna releases. I don't think either one of them is more special than the other. It's just slotted another shot because it's a slightly different version of the album. So I, I think that for me, when I'm flicking through it, the fact that I could see that any of them could really be the cover, it doesn't have that intention that you know that they went into with Ray of Light and the fact that she got called back and you haven't finished yet, love. <laughs> it, you can see that somebody had a vision, whereas this does feel like a fashion shoot and an editorial that you would look great in a magazine, but I don't feel that they captured an amazing album cover. And my tiny little gripe is, it's really petty, but the two stripes in the corner that have been colored red, they're not from the original photo. They've been put in in Photoshop and it's just to try and bring it together. And when you're trying that hard with an image that you have to add in something as obvious as that, it's like, mm, is it a cover shot? You no, no one was doing that on true blue. No one was going to mm. <laughs> stick two blue lines over. I mean, I was bound to completely disagree with you and say something like with the Like a Pair album, I didn't, don't think they went in and thought, actually, a picture of her jeans and her midriff will be the cover shot, let's Agreed. get that. Yeah. But I think, and this is kind of what you're alluding to, they had a theme, they had a hippie, they had yeah. denim and all that kind of stuff. They had a very strong set of ideas with the hope that they'd get that particularly strong image. And, and, and I think, as you say with MDNA, it's just, it's a very good fashion shoot, but it is little more than that. I agree with everything you've both said and also feel like like it does reflect the time so clearly it was a weird time in music and there was mm. a lot of fractions in the industry which are still present today of course we're moving in this digital direction and the idea that a huge artist like madonna someone who's had this huge career and is a record selling artist will struggle to sell records now because of the way the world's changed you know i sort of feel like you see this in the way the artworks come together, like you're saying, Peter, this idea that there were two covers, but one isn't particularly more special than the other. It's just two unusual images or two different images. I, I think for me, the standout of this um, era, and it's not really anything to do with design, but you're huge Madonna fans. I'm sure you want to talk about it. The standout moment of this era is the Super Bowl performance, which of course preceded the, the release of the album. Thoughts, emotions, whatever you want to say about Super Bowl. It, it was something that I remember setting my alarm for and getting up to watch. Yeah, it was, it, it had impact. I think if we don't understand what the Super Bowl is, like I don't watch the football bit, but I'm very <laughs> attracted to the, the shiny um, pop people in the middle of it. And for her to, I was shocked that this was the first time she'd done it. It was like, mm. wow, 30 years in and most big names had already done it. So the expectations were sky high. And I, I think it was, it personally, it's my favorite version of Vogue live. Mm -hmm. It felt like a, a massive refresh and the juxtaposition of making it into Roman God as like the bastions of fashion, it, that sort of worked. It was a really same as she'd done with the MTV awards when she did it in full Baroque. This was like, oh yeah, I can, I can see that this works. It's a really clever take on it. And then to turn that so fluidly into 
the cheerleaders that were still reminiscent of Roman centurions. I just, it's a really slick, smart 12 and a half minutes of Madonna. Oh yeah. And you just know this has all come from her as well. I'm sure that everything started with her idea and finished. There's with a her tiny ideas. little bit that I can see Aphrodite Les Follies. It was a year after, and I mean, they're both at the top of the game and they've often borrowed from one another. So mm-hmm. the, I love the way that she sort of put her spin on it, but I, I could see that there was maybe a moment of inspiration there. Jonathan, uh, 2012, you would have been, what, seven or eight years old? I can't remember. <laughs> five, five, and just starting primary school. Yes, I mean, I'm the same. I remember setting my alarm and watching it. I remember exactly where I was. I was so excited. I feel like you saw the hard work that was put into it. I remember loving the interviews in the lead up. She did a couple of really fun interviews. I think the official Super Bowl one with the NFL was a lot of fun. I thought she looked great, you know, very fresh. I loved that she was so smiley and upbeat as part of the performance. Like a prayer at the end. Mm. Absolute love that. My only issues with it are, I feel like, and I know you will both agree, she is more than strong enough to carry those 12 minutes by herself. Yeah. There's no need for additional support acts. And I understand perhaps it was something the sponsors wanted. Maybe it was the TV channel wanted because most other acts at that time were doing that. But also now we're 10 years on. The acts that she had to support her are no longer big stars mm-hmm. often. No, quite a few of them aren't. And it's, she's this, you know, artist that's traversed all these decades and lasted. And she doesn't need this of the moment edition. You know, the songs also are strong enough. I think also an aside to that is it's a shame that this landed with the promotion around NDNA because, of course, the lead single, Give Me All Your Love In has not transpired to be this classic Madonna hit. And mm. maybe if that song had been swapped out for another one, I would have <laughs> enjoyed that. But, but you know, in a way, it's like a peak. It's a, it's a culmination of all of this hard work, all of these great songs. And, I mean, how the hell do you pick tr- enough Madonna songs to fit into 12 exactly. minutes? I mean, but the thing is, Madonna from 2008 onwards has not been just Madonna. She And whether it comes from her own lack of confidence, which I find hard to believe, or or other people's suggestions, everything is with somebody else, more or less. Every album launch, every you know TV appearance and stuff like that. And I, I like you, I wish we could ha- just have pure Madonna. Can I ask you from a musical point of view, because even me with my terrible ears, I know that LMFAO and music do not <laughs> gel. They are two songs that do not go together. And listening to it today, I was like, ooh, that's that's hard work. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I kind of never really liked them that much. And then I really liked them in that performance and, and kind of got to like those songs. What's really interesting is music is so 2000 sounding. It's so of its time. But at the same time, hasn't really dated. Whereas the LMFAO tracks do sound very, very of their time and don't sound fresh now. I mean, you know, uh, I spent the last two and a half years praising Madonna, but so much for her for this is she really can produce music that sounds of its time, but then lasts forever. I mean, we talk about this with songs like Frozen. It sounds incredibly 1998, but it, you know, doesn't sound any date, more dated now. So yeah, those two don't gel together wonderfully. With a lot of Madonna's decisions over the past 10 years, or maybe a little more, I think you can see what age her children were at, at the point mm. in which she made a creative decision. Because of course we know she sort of runs things past them. And I'm sure a 12 year old liked LFMAO <laughs> at that point, and that's maybe influenced it slightly. But also, you know, to sort of really have praise for what we did get in some parallel universe, we have a Madonna performance at the uh, Super Bowl where she decided to do all new songs. 
and mm-hmm. didn't want to visit the back catalogue. So I'm just really glad we did get <laughs> some of the classics. You're quite right. We should be uh, grateful for what we received rather than what we didn't get, I guess. That's a very good point. So briefly onto the singles. I really like the video and I really like the artwork for Gimme All Your Loving. And I'm well prepared for you both to disagree with me. I'll, I'll have a little aside about my excitement. I came into this and when doing the research and looking, I, I'd forgotten visually how amazing everything was like all three of the videos are stunners whether i think highly of the music or not the videos the production and everything so yeah it was a really nice surprise to go back and go wow that that's that's three phenomenal videos and yeah like the visuals are so strong the sing the single cover the photography on give me all your loving she looks great she looks really young and and fun and as she is and, and and Jonathan this comes from the same Motum shoot does it not Motum shoot exactly the same shoot so you can see some of those setups in some of the outtakes from the artwork itself and I agree she looks great I think Madonna has a face that is really great to retouch you know and that's not me being shady you know some people don't look so great. Some people retouch really well and she retouches so well. And Mert and Marcus, of course, are at the top of their game. So are great at a sort of airbrushing an image and they feel fun as in a single cover. I personally don't like it. I don't think it's uh, strong enough as the cover, but uh, I can see that it's a good image. They're, they're good images and it, and it is a fun shoot. But I think overall, I don't love the single covers for the whole thing. You know, the other two, Girl Gone Wild and Turn Up the Radio, well, Girl Gone Wild, by that point, we'd already seen a lot of these images from mm. the uh, campaign. So I kind of like it to fit more along with with the most recent period that Madonna's in her life. I know I'm setting very high standards. <laughs> but for Turn Up the Radio, it being a still from the video, I'm also a bit like, mm, when artists do that. But I guess it was the third or fourth, if you include Masterpiece, single mm-hmm. from the album. So it's sense. really interesting with girl gone one because i know some madonna fans absolutely absolutely love it i'm i'm indifferent about it i think it's quite a good benny benassi track but it's kind of like catnip for some of the fans she's and this is one of the reasons why my husband gareth doesn't particularly like it he finds it really cynical it's like okay i'm going to give everything the gays want i'm going to have you know a black and white video of me looking like i did in 1991 blah 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 i mean it's it's iconic you you can't doubt that and it's a very clever video guys have got any opinions on that I mean, I like the song and I like the video. It's similar to what you guys were saying about the artwork in general feeling very much like a fashion editorial, maybe mm-hmm. rather than a musician's photo shoot. Of course, as we said, this is an extension of the Martin Marcus shoot. So Madonna had approached them to shoot a video. And they said in an interview that they listened to the album altogether with her and they were up dancing to four of the songs in particular, telling her which ones were their favorite as a single. And then Girl Gone Wild apparently came up as this natural suggestion that it would be a great partnership for them to direct. And I kind of see that there is this energy to that song and the way they shoot, there is a sort of vibrancy. They said the video was quite hard for them because they don't usually work in that way and they had to hire a huge team to do it. There was a lot of technical preparation and that Madonna was the key educator. She really told them what for when it comes to directing a video, but that they really enjoyed the process and that it was a lot of fun. And I feel, you know, you mentioned it, there are, in my mind, references to the Madonna of like 1992. You know, a lot of the techniques as well that we see used in the video can be seen in the Super 8 videos from the Sex book era. 
you know, the idea of this projection of sort of negative scratching on the, the footage looks a lot like what Stephen Mizell shot in the sex book. And, and then I guess also if I'm to sort of tie up parts of her career, there's a slight nod in a way, although I don't think intentional at all, to the Give It To Me video in the sense that it seems like we're getting a preview of behind the scenes of a photo shoot. At least that's how I read it, the Tom Monroe video from from the previous album. Also thinking about it being so of the time, the male models they chose, all four of those male models were huge at the time, and two in particular who stand out, John Cortagirona and Sean O'Pree, who are still huge models. And then of course, John shows up again in the Bitch and Madonna video. So yeah, tying up a lot of things, like you said, pleasing the gays, you know, <laughs> it ticks all the boxes. She doesn't do it often, but when she does, she does it well. Have you seen the original Kazaki? video for love no tell us all about it well if you watch that you won't be congratulating anyone because it's more or less a carbon copy really so the, yeah the the guys in the background i was aware of them at the at the time they were on my radar so these guys in huge high heels and i was quite obsessed with this weird eastern european band that no one else had ever heard of and it's complete euro trash but it's it's it was good music at that time and that video they basically put Madonna in. So the original Kazaki video is identical. The poses, the props, the, like the spinning on the, on the plinth, it's all there. They so basically I, just. I feel people are actually Googling as, <laughs> as you say this, <laughs> what am, should they yeah. be looking at? Kazaki, K-A? K-A-Z-A-K-Y. Yeah. Right. And what's the song called? And it's called Love, capital letters, L-O-V-E. But you will be utterly disappointed because it's. <laughs> It's just the same video without Madonna. Even like, even to my eye, it's pretty similar choreography. She raised, it, she raises it, and it really—it's a Madonna video, and all of the visuals and the bombshell and everything like that. It—it's so much superb. But I wouldn't be giving Mern Marcus as much love after you've seen the original, and to it, know to know that they did it themselves on a shoestring budget makes it even more impressive. Listen, we know that Madonna is queen of taking other people's ideas and making them her own, but she always makes them better, in my opinion. So, and you've the, kind of said that. The, so, turn up the radio. Oh, turn off the radio, as far as I'm concerned. I think it's one of her weakest songs, let alone singles. And I'm not going to say it's a lazy video because she looks fan absolutely fantastic on it, but it was shot while she was on tour. And as Jonathan said, you know, a still from that video shoot appears on the cover. Any opinions you'd like to share? I've got so much good stuff to say. All right. Okay. <laughs> you need to redeem yourself, Peter. <laughs> um, I love it. I love it. It's trapped in an Instagram filter before we really knew what they were. I think you can see the WE director in her. It was directed by Tom Monroe, but I could equally believe it was her. So there's the shot of the umbrellas again from a, a, above. We've got a little bit of drowned world where she's coming out to the paparazzi. But then the bit that I like love the most is the thing that she copied over into WE was those moments where you sort of felt as if you were interacting with news footage. So the shots that are, that must be from a camera that is not part of the crew, which then makes it feel really out of this world, as in like they're reporting on her and they're following her. And just the whole sort of Italian, like Riviera. And I think she sold a mood really well. It would have been so obvious to just put her in like some eighties garb or like make it hearing a song on the radio. But it's that level of class and Italy just, it's just something about the color of the light and how it all comes together. I, I, I absolutely love it. But I, it, like I said earlier, it, 
going back to it, I didn't realize how good it was. It's such a smart, slick video. And yeah, I agree. The song is not the best in the world, but it gives me that Madonna summer sunny vibe. And that's, that's never a bad thing. Jonathan, any, anything to add on, on those singles? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, there's, I, I recently came back from the States, as you both know, and there's something that Americans are saying a lot recently. You don't have to have been there to recognize this because it's online a lot. And they often say, I love that for you. And I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> I love that journey for you. <laughs> yes. That's my first thought that came to mind. At the time, it sort of passed me by as a single. I don't think I ever even really realized she released it as a single. I wasn't hugely invested in this era at the time or since. And I feel my general perception of this is what you had said, Edward, which is this is a good album of EDM music from someone in 2012. It's not a Madonna album that I deeply connect with. And having had such an appreciation of her previous work and this not connecting in the same way, you know, it's, it's challenging, but I sort of feel this as the same for the single, the same for the video. Number one thing, she looks great. Yeah. That's, that's my main. It's, it's my favorite look that she repeats. So the Barbarella Bridget Bardot look, I loved it on the front cover of, um, erotica, even though you don't see the big hair and I love it there. And then I think she repeated it again at like the 95 MTV awards. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. it was the same hairpiece because it's just <laughs> so perfect. But I, the, the, I, I think, I think she looked phenomenal. Listen guys, further listening and further reading on the MDNA period, Jonathan come to you first. So I think first it would be advisable to look at the MDNA tour book. It contains so many of the images from this campaign period and there is some beautiful artwork that is really varied around the same. A lot of this, I feel, is a nod to the sex book, like I mentioned earlier about the video for Girl Gone Wild. And I think you can see that in some of the photos here too. So this idea of scratches on the negative, double exposures, bleached and cross-processed images, you know, they played around a lot. The difference with this is this is all done on Photoshop. So we're living in a different time, whereas those Stephen Mizell images, of course, are done by hand. There's another photo shoot in Interview Magazine from May of 2010. Of course, this is a little before this album came out, but they're also shot by Martin Marcus. So I do think that it is relevant. And I think Madonna looks beautiful in the photos. And again, there's another nod, I feel, to the sex period because she's got what Peter was talking about with this sort of Bridget Bardot look, the volumized hair. There's a lot of crucifixes that show up which of course classic madonna beauty shots where she really looks incredible incredibly strong and then i sort of feel this is the first time in her career where she's very directly self-referential before rebel heart where she's wearing all the bangles and the chains which look a lot like the styling for the original 1983 madonna madonna album there's also a fun interview with Gus Van Sant, which you can see online. So if you just Google it, it's worth looking up. And they talk about Ariane Phillips working with her, the movie WE she's working on, and then Gus working with Sean Penn. So there's some fun stories in there. Final photo shoot I think you should look up is the Truth or Dare Fragrance campaign imagery. You know, that was released, I think, about a month after the album. Merton Marcus also shot this. I think it was Fabian Barron who did the art direction. And... The images are really beautiful, especially one that is a sort of 
I think, a take on a Man Ray image where she's doing that same pose as is in the image that was shot by Stephen Meisel for sex, which was a pull-out poster from the Erotica 12-inch vinyl, her with the sort of jeweled bodysuit on, very similar pose, hair look. I, I really loved that. And one final thing, which isn't a photo shoot, is the MDNA electronic press kit, which is on YouTube. And there's some really nice interviews. William Orbit's in there. Merton Marcus are in there. And it just gives a recap of the era. I feel you've set us homework that's going to take <laughs> two weeks to get through it, at least. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciated. Peter, anything to add? Mine are a bit shorter and snappier and just funny stories. The other video we didn't cover much, but the LUV Madonna one. On her insistence, the her dancing against a wall was included. The directors were not up for it. It was a company <laughs> called company called Megaforce, very French, very knew what they wanted to do. But you can't deny that's the bit where she really comes to life. Everything's so um it, it's really a wonderfully choreographed and it's seamless. But the bit to me that where you break the fourth wall and you really begin to enjoy it is just seeing Madonna in a prop. And she mm -hmm. nailed it every time. And the other bit that I would say you can look up is the making of the video for Turn Up The Radio. There's loads of fan footage, like they encourage people to film it. So there's awful lot, call it bonus content out there because a lot of the people would just have the camera phones out and it made the, the whole atmosphere really cool. The other thing that I like at the very end of the video, the very attractive Italian man says something to her in Italian and it's actually the party's over. Now fasten your seatbelt, bitch. <laughs> Fantastic. Guys, thank you so much for giving your insight and I'll have you back very soon to talk about the penultimate in, in our agenda for this uh, version of the series, which will be Rebel Heart. Rebel Heart.